Welcome, ladies, to the online Bible study. This week we are looking at Esther chapter 6. And we are taking off from where last week we saw that Esther had invited Haman and King Ahasuerus to a banquet. Now this week we are looking at what happened that night. Divine providence. God's providential care and guidance in our lives. This is what we see in the book of Esther. As we walk about our day, God is working out his plan in our lives. As we sleep at night, God is working out his plan in our lives. Isn't it comforting to know that God is in control from the smallest of things in our lives to the very largest? Let's open our Bibles to Esther chapter 6 verse 1. Now last week we ended with Prime Minister Haman making plans to hang Mordecai on 75-foot gallows as an example for all to see. Once again, here we see the providence of God, his hand invisibly working in the life of King Ahasuerus. Let's read verse 1. It says, That night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So here we have King Ahasuerus. Earlier in the day, Queen Esther had come to him unsummoned, then invites him to a banquet where he enjoys food, wine, and the company of the queen, along with Prime Minister Haman. Then, wanting to know what Queen Esther wanted by approaching him unsummoned, instead of telling him right away, Esther invites him to another banquet the next day. So the queen, the king has had quite a day here, and he finds himself now unable to sleep. Well, we've all had nights like this, haven't we? You go to bed and just lay there. A million things going through your mind. Maybe it's about the day you had, or the things you need to do, or just didn't have the time to do them. Maybe it's finances, wondering where are you going to get the money to pay the bills. It could be the anticipation of starting a new job, or it could be the excitement of something that happened in your life. We don't know what was going through the king's mind keeping him awake, but we do know that it was a sovereign hand of God preparing the king to act according to his plan. Isn't it wonderful to think that God never sleeps? He watches over us 24-7 and is working in our lives to complete his plan. Psalms 121 verses 3 through 4 says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. I like the story that Warren Wiersbe told in the book about visiting the zoo. He said he was fascinated with the nocturnal exhibit. Here were animals that most of us never see 
because they sleep in the daytime and do their active living at night. While you are resting, said one of the posters, nature is busily at work helping to keep the balance of life stable. Isn't that a picture here? Our Heavenly Father is busily working day and night also to keep the balance of life stable according to His plan and His purpose. God wanted King Ahasuerus awake because he had something to tell him. Now the king asks that the book of records of the Chronicles be read to him. <laughs> now that would definitely put somebody to sleep, wouldn't it? In eastern courts there are scribes or officers whose duty is to keep a journal of every occurrence worth of notice. Notice in Ezra chapter 6 verse 1 it says the king Darius issued a decree and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. Notice they searched the archives. Herodias noted that the king kept especially clear records of those who served him well. So once again God's sovereignty is evident. Not only does the king ask for the chronicles to be read to him, but the servant happens to pick the very journals from events that happened five years earlier pertaining to Mordecai. Do you believe that God leads us to a specific book to read and has us read what he wants us to read? Absolutely. God works through all different means to tell us what he wants us to know, doesn't he? Wiersbe brought out that in 1916 a British student bought a used book and after reading it he gave his life to the Lord. Who was that student? Yes, C.S. Lewis. Perhaps the greatest and most popular apologist for the Christian faith of the middle 20th century. God can direct what we read and what specific page that we read. Let's look at verse 2. It says, And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bithana and Turesh two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers, who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, <laughs> you cannot tell me that this was coincidence. You can definitely see that God is in control here, can't you? Think about how many books there are. Think about how thick these books are. And yet, the servant picks the particular book and on top of that had him read from the very part dealing with Mordecai. Now, doesn't this story sound familiar? Let's look back a few pages to chapter 2 and let's read verses 21 to 23. It says, In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs 
Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on the king, Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on the gallows. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles, in the presence of the king. In the presence of the king, it was written. Five years later, we see this, and it's going to save Mordecai. Mordecai saved the king's life five years ago. Rewards and punishments were basic to the Persian system of maintaining loyalty. So, what type of reward did Mordecai receive five years ago? Well, let's look at verse 3 to see. It says, Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servant who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. This, ladies, is a key point. If Mordecai had been honored five years before, the events of this critical day could not have occurred. God is in control of the details of our life. Mordecai had to wait five years to receive his reward, which in turn assisted in saving the Jewish people. Joseph had to wait two more years in prison until God's timing, where he became second ruler in Egypt, as we see in Genesis 40. God even had a specific day picked for the Jews to leave Egypt, as we see in Exodus chapter 12. Ladies, God wants us to receive the right reward at the right time for the right purpose. So let's continue as we see God's plan to reward Mordecai unfold. Let's read verses 4 through 5. It says, So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. Okay, here comes Haman. You remember, last week we left Haman planning to kill Mordecai on the gallows, right? He was on cloud nine. So, here he is, bright and early, to make his petition to the king. But, God had other plans. Before Haman had a chance to say anything, the king asks him a question. Let's look at verse 6. It says, So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Well, Haman probably couldn't believe what he was hearing. 
The king didn't say who he wanted to honor, but Haman, in his arrogance, immediately thinks it's himself. So, of course, he is going to make the honor very elaborate, right? You can say that you can just see his wheels turning as he thought about Mordecai having to watch Haman being honored and then to be hung on the gallows. It set him again on cloud nine. But little did proud Haman realize that before the day would end, the situation would be completely reversed. Proverbs 11.8 says, The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. Psalms 7.15-16 says, He made a pit and dug it out, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. What does this sound like, ladies? God is going to have him fall in the very pits that he dug, right? God's providential care protects his people. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Wiersbe stated, that the first half of this verse applies to Haman and the last half to Mordecai. Wow, what a difference this little comma makes. Proverbs 29.23 says, gives the same message. It says, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. On which side, ladies, of the comma do you live? Haman, in his arrogant, prideful self, responds to the king's question. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. It says, And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, that he may arraign the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback throughout the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Okay, here we have a royal robe that the king has worn, a horse which the king has ridden, the royal crest placed on the horse's head. Sounds like he wants to be the king himself, doesn't it? Then notice in verse 9, one of the king's most noble princes to be placed, the robe on him and parade him on horseback through the city square. While he is taking him through the city square, he is to proclaim, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. 
Now, you could just see Haman. He's waiting to hear the king's response, fully expecting him to say, Let this be done to you, Haman. But let's look at verse 10 and see what the king said. It says, Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do this for Mordecai, the Jew who sits within the king's gate, leaving nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Wow! What a blow to Haman. God used the king to give the shocking order that reversed the fate, the destiny of Haman and Mordecai. Haman would have never expected Mordecai to be the man the king was wished to honor. The king commands Haman that he is not to leave anything out that he has recommended. Now you remember verse 9. It said, one of the king's most noble princes, right? <laughs> Haman is second in command. He is the prime minister. And so the king asks Haman to be the one to submit this honor to Mordecai. Let's look at verse 11. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arraigned Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Haman was humiliated before the public while Mordecai was honored. The honorable prime minister was to suffer the most embarrassing, disgraceful act of his life. His experience clearly shows how God humbles the prideful of the world and exalts the humble. Haman's pride was crushed by the command of the king, for he was forced to exalt the man he had personally despised and plotted to execute the Jew Mordecai. Imagine Haman's utter disgrace in view of the fact that many of his friends and royal officials knew of his bitter hatred towards Mordecai. Everyone knew of his extreme prejudice and malice towards the Jews. But notice here in verse 12, it says, After Mordecai went back to the city gate, the king's gate, but Haman hurried into the house, mourning and with his head covered. This simply states that Mordecai went back to the king's gate. It doesn't tell us his reaction or anything, just that he went back to the gate. But, notice Haman. He hurried home, mourning with his head covered. <laughs> Things didn't go as he wished. And again, here we see the tables are turned. Covering his head, he clearly did not want to see anyone and see their faces. He could not bear the embarrassment. When Haman arrived home, he found his wife 
and friends there and told them all that had transpired. Now think back. This is quite different from the last time he spoke to them, right? Instead of coming home on cloud nine, he is now coming home with his tail between his legs in utter humiliation. Notice verse 13. It says, When Haman told his wife Jerush and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife said to him, If Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. A little different, huh? They did not comfort him in his time of suffering. Notice, they actually predicted his downfall. They warned that if he could not stand against Mordecai, since he was a Jew, and because the king had so highly honored Mordecai, Haman was running a dangerous risk in continuing with his plot to exterminate the Jews. His humiliation in the streets, and these words in his own home should have alarmed Haman and moved him to change his course of action. God was warning Haman, but the prime minister wouldn't heed the warning. While Haman was talking with his wife and friends, the king's eunuchs came to take him to the second banquet with the king and queen. Verse 14 tells us, While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hasted to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Now, <laughs> this was not at all what Haman had expected. What a difference a day makes. Just yesterday, he was on cloud nine. He was planning at this point that Mordecai would have been hung and he would be gloating as he went to the banquet. Just the opposite happened. Now he is forced to go to the banquet with a crushed spirit and with fear flooding in his heart. For his wife and his friends had just predicted the start of his downfall. Now, after being humiliated, he is now attending the second banquet what could be going through his mind? Could things get any worse? Well, off he went with the eunuchs to go to the banquet. We will find out what happens next week as we study chapter 7. But there is a lot of lessons to be learned in this chapter. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is in control of all of the details of our life, no matter how big or how strong. That he is with you in the daytime as well as the nighttime. He is there in the rough times and in the good times. You can see here in the book of Esther of how God works through all sorts of people to accomplish his will. When God sounds an alarm, it pays to stop, look, listen, and obey. In closing, 
For those watching the video series, I'd like to show you an inspirational video of how God is with us in all the details of our lives. Please watch this. We have seen throughout the book of Esther and the book of Ruth how God orchestrates and works in our lives. And it is so wonderful to think that no matter what it is that we're going through, no matter how big or how small, no matter if it's sorrowful or joyful, God is there 24-7 with us. Now ladies, as we continue next week, we will see what is going to happen at the banquet. And I look forward to doing the rest of this study with you. Until then, God bless.